0: Your ears do not deceive you. You've just entered the Cryptid Creator Corner brought to you by your friends at Comic Book Yeti. So without further ado, let's get on to the interview.
1: Hello and welcome to uh, Comic Book Yeti's Cryptid Creator Corner. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, Jimmy Gasparro, and uh, you're now listening to what I've been referring to as my self-indulgence series where I get to talk to creators that I uh, enjoy their work. And since it's a Coming up on Halloween and the the spooky season, Uh, I want to talk to creators that are making some of the horror comics that I have really enjoyed. And today I have with me the uh, writer of uh, one of my favorites uh, in recent memory, uh, Eat My Flesh, Drink My Blood, which was uh, put out by Dauntless Stories. And here with me today is Frankie White. Frankie, welcome to the Cryptid Creator Corner.
2: Hey, thank you for having me, Jimmy, and thank you for saying such a nice thing about eat my flesh, drink my blood.
1: Uh, It's uh, maybe it's because I was raised Catholic. (laughs) Oh, good. All right. Yeah, me too. (laughs) I'm wondering if that
2: if it's a Catholic thing. (laughs) I think it is.
1: Yeah. So, just uh, you're now on the um, formerly religious podcast, Um, but maybe you (laughs) still are religious. I'd say formally for myself. Yeah, I went to. uh, I was raised Catholic. Which is a true sign of someone who's no longer a practicing Catholic when they start up by saying they were raised Catholic. <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: Yes, <laughs> not that, that is they how are I Catholic. refer to myself <laughs> as well. Yeah, I, I'm not a um, practicing Catholic uh, by any stretch of the imagination anymore.
1: <laughs> right, so and uh, yeah, and I, I went to Catholic grade school, high school, and college. Oh, wow. Um, right, yeah, I went uh, went to a, a grade school in Delaware County, Pennsylvania, and then I went to a, like an all-boys Catholic private school in in Delaware and then I went to St. Joe's in in Philly. So, um I had my my fill of Catholic uh, education. But um it, it is it's is like a it's it's a perfect title for kind of a religious horror story, especially if you're Catholic and understand that through the process of transubstantiation, the the host and the wine actually becomes uh not figuratively, literally the body and blood of Jesus. So mm-hmm. there's your Catholic fact. There's your Catholic fact for the podcast. <laughs> I'm and hoping, uh, like,
2: I know that is going to be uh, a thing that is primarily for Catholics, but I hope there's people that are aware of that. Because well, right. that's one of those things growing up where you just think, man, that like that is so, that's such a metal, like, a metal concept, like, so horror-driven.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, just to think, like, where they got to that point, and, you know, there are other groups that have split off and like there were were tons of other groups that were Christian, but not necessarily Catholic who thought, you know, it's just symbolic. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but now we're now we're getting into like uh, my college Christian tradition class. But
2: uh... <laughs> <laughs> my, uh, but my wife, a... my wife is a uh, former practicing Lutheran, so I, I lived that life of growing up what you know we've been together for like 10 years so talking about if we ever have to go to mass with her family I'm, or she comes to my family like it's like they'll go up and they'll get communion no big deal it's not as big of a deal whereas like if you're catholic it's a big fucking deal you know you're not supposed to go if you haven't had reconciliation if you haven't done anything so it's just funny to see like how that all plays out <laughs>
0: how yeah it is uh-
1: yeah, it is. So uh, I, when you first, and I mean, I, I, we did like a written interview, I think before the story came out and, you know, got to ask some, I, I had seen a preview at that point and, um, I read it and then I couldn't find my copy, so I just bought it again and to read
0: it again today. So Bless you. <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh, thank you. Thank you. I'll, I'll take it. Um, and I just, I, I, I love, ha- I love the title. I love how innocent it starts out and I mean man when I don't want to I mean I know it's been out for a little while but if anyone who is listening to this who wants to find a new horror story I don't want to spoil things too much but man when it takes a left turn it takes a left turn and I mean it is just full-on could go anywhere and really is just full-on horror so fast and I think it's I just I just think it's brilliant for when it hits for what a 52 page story uh so kudos thank you (laughs) that that, Um, that that heavy switch is is i mean
2: obviously by design but partially because it's it's it is like you said it's a 52 page story so it's trying to maximize that shock value of setting up as much as you possibly can in that first half. And I, when I was telling Marcus about my, my, you know, outline and my ideas, which I I say outline, it was, it was not a bit, I I hardly ever really outline my stuff, but the idea of doing, I was like half of it is going to be your meet the family sort of like awkwardness and working that all out and setting up the relationship. And then I was like, and then the back half, I want it to be, the sort of thing where when you were a kid you had a sleepover or something and you watched that r-rated movie that you were not supposed to see at all like i that was how it was playing in my head was like that kind of mentality of having you know something that hopefully people read and go oh this is what's what's wrong with them
1: (laughs) (laughs) You, you know that's actually that's fascinating you say that because um the idea of that you know when you're you're a kid and you you catch something on TV that you're not supposed to um it, it's that's a really interesting you know concept in terms of viewing this, especially from uh you know from uh, the main character um you know where she finds herself in, in the story at a certain point it that really kind of like makes sense in, in terms of her like like headspace within it um but i don't want to get i don't want to get too far into talking about without mentioning your your collaborators adam uh, markowitz and ahg um and i really love the colors in this book are phenomenal um what was it like getting you know everybody together and like when you first kind of pitch this idea
2: um well so adam and ahg both worked on broken bear with me so we have a previous existing relationship and i i love working with them and not to jump the gun too much but i'm working with adam again you know on who killed sarah shaw there
0: yeah
2: he's definitely kind of like you know my go-to person for finding an artist that they it, it makes it so easy to work with them because we know exactly where our headspaces are what we want to see what we want to do and it requires very little you know back and forth usually it's like i send them script i get something back and it's good to go um for eat my flesh drink my blood this started off originally it was going to be either a short story or let's say like a novella novelette whatever you want to call it um I had hit a point in in making comics where I just wasn't sure what I wanted to do next and I was feeling a little burnt out and so I wanted to go back to writing what I had written before I started doing comics which was short stories and, and you know prose writing and stuff like that okay. and and so I started it originally as that um, and as I was working through it, I had a pretty good idea of what I wanted. It was sort of similar, but it was way different uh, in the original short story version. Um, John is way more of an asshole than he is in the, in the final version. He was really much more of uh, an antagonist to the story. Um, But then one day I, and this just speaks to how poorly I keep my files, I lost my draft and I could not find it for the life of me. And so it hit a point where I was like, well, this doesn't exist anymore. I'm not rewriting it. I'm going to see if I can turn this into a comic because I think it can work that way, too. So then I, you know, I let uh, AHG know because we were talking about working on something together. Um, you know potentially even co-writing it um, obviously that didn't really pan out but he's still on as a colorist and he I mean so many of his color ideas influence the story itself Um, and then Adam came on and you know working with them is just like I said it's it's easy it is script you know art comes in everybody is you know open to any kind of you know, ideas that the other person has, you know, if we have an idea about, you know, even like changing dialogue, because Adam does the lettering too. So there's times where he'll send it back with, you know, the lettering, and maybe he switches up how I wrote it in terms of like how the the letters are placed, or, you know, maybe he splits a bubble or something like that, that wasn't in the script like that. Um, We're all really open to each other's suggestions. So it makes it a lot of fun to collaborate.
1: You said something earlier that you don't really outline, like when you approached Dauntless with it, or you don't really out- outline. So, do you just start? I mean, like, have any, you know, anything in terms of a roadmap of where you're going, or like you have an idea and you just start scripting?
2: There's, there's definitely. So it's kind of, it's like a little bit of both. There's a roadmap in the sense that usually when I start writing a story, I. I come up with the ending first. So I I almost always know where I want to go with the story. I just need to figure out how to get there and how to make the moment that I have as the ending that I feel like on its own, as its own individual scene is an impactful scene, how to make it the most impactful it can be, basically. So for Eat My Flesh, Drink My Blood, I had an idea for the very opening scene where it opens with the shot of, the church steeple and you see the cross and says you know it's a, a very ham-fisted june 6 6 p.m you know 666 number and then right. the very and then the very end of the story the very last page um i had the last two pages i had like r- in my head like at the beginning where i was like i know this this is what i want to happen at the end i just need to figure out how the hell we get there and how to make it all make sense. Cause there's mm-hmm. a lot going on in, in the story, in the 52 pages, there's a lot of sort of, you, you have to, you know, kind of ride with us in terms of, you know, how it all works. How, how, how does some of the stuff they do, you know, make sense with their religious ceremonies and everything like that. Right. Um, that is not fully explained in the story. A because I didn't want to, it, it, there's no, there's not really, a, a good, clean way to do that without someone just outright saying stuff. And it, that would not ring true to how I write dialogue. Um, So I don't typically do full outlines. Or if I do write an outline, like you had said prior, you don't stick to what you think you have, right? You Maybe I write like a paragraph or something that is going to say like, all right, here's kind of generally what I want. Or maybe even have a couple paragraphs, you know, broken up by like major arcs or something. But then as I start scripting, it all starts to change. It starts, you know, things that I write down for later, I go, ah, it's not going to work. I don't want to use that line. Or I completely go off track and start doing other things. Um, I tend to relate myself as a writer to George R.R. Martin. He refers to himself as a gardener. That's like his mentality where he plants a seed. And then he just follows it, and he like he okay. nurtures the seed and sees where it goes, and and that's why mm-hmm. it takes him twenty years to write a book. <laughs> so <laughs> thankfully, my comics are much shorter, so I don't have to worry about that. But it's that same mentality of just saying like, okay, I like this. I want to see where this goes, even if, like I said for you know earlier. In my original draft, John was a total asshole, and when the story starts, Lisa and John are sort of on the outs, and she goes almost begrudgingly, and as I started kind of getting into doing the script for the comic, I was like, this doesn't, I'm not feeling this anymore, I don't think John would be like this, at least in this version, and I don't think Lisa would be with him if he was like this, so that needs to change, and so stuff like that just sort of changes as you start
1: scripting. Okay, yeah. I mean, that makes sense. And it does, you know, thinking about that now, when you, you said that it does, it does work better that he, you know, kind of doesn't want to go back home, hasn't spoken to his parents. She's kind of pushing him because she has like, uh, you know, maybe her her own issues of acceptance or family, whatever that might be. Um, but, you know, it kind of makes sense in terms of their relationship as as uh, as things play out. Um one of the things I really liked about it, in terms of what the digital version, you know, it 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 scrolls, uh, you know, up and down the the three panel pages, which um, I mean, really works well uh, digitally. Um, uh, is is kind of fantastic how it just kind of like rather than being side to side, it's it's a very nice. <laughs> it was a very nice digital reading experience for the comic. Um, but so kudos to. Uh, whoever does the digital stuff for, for Dauntless. Um, one of the things I wanted to talk about, I really like early on, it's very difficult to show, you know, music in terms of a comic and the way the, the the way the music is done in, in the, when they first enter the church, these kind of like streaky, not totally there white bars and notes. Um, who kind of came, who came up with that concept because that works so well to kind of give the sense that there is something off about the music it's not just in the dialogue where lisa says that it's kind of dissonant but it, it works visually as well and i think that's kind of tricky but i think you guys all nailed it
2: so that so having the notes is in the script um i i wanted lisa to be musically inclined to give her something a little extra outside of, you know, being a, you know, committed partner in a relationship and you mm-hmm. know having her own anxiety issues. I wanted her to have something else, a hobby, even though it doesn't necessarily play into the grand scheme of the story I wanted her to feel a little more fleshed out as like a you know human being she's got other hobbies besides being in a relationship um and she's a very talented musician she can catch how things sound you know like she says when she walks in sounds very dissonant um so in the notes in the script I wanted there to be the music playing and and it was in the script it's just sort of says like we see staff music it's very it's very dissonant and then it you know kind of gets bigger and bigger as it goes on adam did the design for it as he you know is lettering everything and you can kind of see where like he's pulling the staff music and copying it but then as it goes on he starts drawing over it and making it bigger and scratchier and sort of like harder to read and that's actually like real music on uh, a spoiler alert. We've never told anybody this, but I'll give you the inside scoop. We tried to see if anybody who was musically inclined could guess it, but it's, the, it's this, it's the, uh, staff notation for, uh, angel of death from Slayer.
0: So,
2: <laughs> so that is the, that is the music they are listening to in this scene. Uh, so, and it's like the piano version of it, which is, if you look it up, it's a very haunting melody. um, so that was his idea, you know, to, to do it the way he did it with the sort of handwritten staff, mm-hmm. you know, kind of drawing and everything. And that's in the script. And then similarly, later on, when we see uh, Lisa playing on the piano in the apartment, you see the the staff notation for the notes that she's playing, which is in the soundtrack we made. That's that's a piece of music I wrote that for her and everything. So that's that's in there as well.
0: Oh, wow. That's awesome. That's
2: pretty yeah, cool the soundtrack that as is well. the soundtrack is like we. I feel like we did a poor job personally, like of promoting it, because me and Adam put a lot of work into doing the soundtrack, and Adam's obviously a very talented artist, but he's also a very talented composer too, and I could like send him you know, riffs from my piano and then send it to him and say like, here's like the notes, you know, that I can piece together. Cause I'm not a classically trained pianist or anything. I just know the notes on the keyboard mm-hmm. <laughs> and then he could take it and then turn it into like fully composed, you know, like it sounds like an actual song that like someone recorded
0: in a studio <laughs> music.
1: <laughs> yeah. And you can, it's, it's still available. You can get the, uh, the eat my flesh, drink my blood, uh, official soundtrack um which uh, that's pretty cool i mean that's like a nice little added thing that uh you know that doesn't happen too often comics come with their own soundtrack
2: yeah well going with the vibe of you know it being that sort of like 70s you know kind of horror aesthetic that giallo horror aesthetic and again wanting it to be that you know that it's sort of a movie that you watch in a sleepover vibe you know we felt like it was fitting yeah. to the soundtrack and you know adam and i are both you know musically inclined people who do music on the side for fun on our own so it was like why not actually work together and you know make something for it that had the vibe of all the you know the sounds that we love mm-hmm. you know there's a lot of john carpenter influence in it because we are both big john carpenter nutheads so <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: well speaking of like influences so in ter- do you i mean are you a fan of like horror in terms of you know consumption i mean do you like reading horror or watching horror films oh yeah oh,
0: <laughs> yeah yes
2: yeah, yeah. Abso- abso- yeah absolutely absolutely it i mean it's as a as a like a viewer as a reader as a consumer it is my favorite genre especially when we're talking about like in, in the film space and yeah and reading it like in comics i i don't read as many horror comics maybe as i would like just because. For for lack of a better reason, it, a lot of it doesn't seem to like resonate with me like it does on screen. Um, mm-hmm. But you know that is probably my favorite genre as a consumer. I love like whenever somebody's got something new out, I want to check it out.
1: Yeah, I, I used to I I never liked horror films uh, as a kid. I wasn't a big fan of horror. I, I think um, that all changed. I went to. I, I went to a program in school and there were di- there were different talks that day and I wanted to go to one on the environment and it was like all filled up and all my friends were going to one about uh like cl- like movie monsters but not just classic movie monsters like the one this was probably in the early '90s, so it was a lot of the ones that came up, you know, with movies in the '80s, Jason, mm-hmm. Freddy Krueger, and it was all about how these these characters essentially aren't anything new. We've always been telling stories about these types of monsters, mm-hmm. and I was like, I'm not going to hate this, but all my friends are going, and I loved it. And I think for the next twenty years, I just consumed as as uh, as many horror films as I could. Um, uh since having kids the past uh, 10 years i probably have a long list of ones i need to i need to get caught up on but um you know but from like 1995 to 2015 or so i'm pretty good
0: (laughs) there's a
2: lot of good horror movies from that time period and there's i mean honestly and even since then it's kind of crazy how many good horror movies there have been but isn't there there's something that's so compelling about that genre of just seeing the it's it's this idea of putting yourself in a position that can be genuinely scary but knowing there's sort of the safety valve of like oh i'm on my couch you know there's yeah. something about that and like you said seeing these movie monsters or you know killers or whatever you know the new one is for whatever the next movie is it's something that's been done before and that in and of itself is kind of fun it's the idea of how do we take these concepts that have sort of live in the back of a human brain and have lived there for all all of the time we've had a functioning brain, you know, like that could think and process like beyond like the initial, like (laughs) like just existing, like in you know, impulse control stuff. Like Mm -hmm. that it to me is what's fascinating is seeing how we get those ideas and they just kind of keep coming back and they come back and they come back and they change a little bit. They change a little bit here, they change a little bit there usually shaped by you know either the writer or the directors you know growing up circumstances or what's going on in the world and i think that is a lot of times when horror gets to be really interesting is if you look around what's going on in the world typically when and not to say this is a good thing but when the world seems at its most at strife is when horror really ramps up and we get some of the best horror stuff because there's this idea that you're surrounded by all this real life horror. So you take it and you put it into a little like self-contained movie or comic or, you know, TV show or what have you and try and wrestle with all those concepts and make something that hopefully people can enjoy. (laughs) I don't know if enjoy is the right word. I would say enjoy.
1: Yeah. I mean, it. you know, And and, uh, there's also kind of um, for a long time, I thought, and and maybe I still do. I think the best for me, I I think this the scariest horror movie um, is the 1978 version of Invasion of the Body Snatchers,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, because that it's not totally terrifying like all along, but the. The, the the feeling at the end of this of this kind of bleakness that there is quite possibly only one human person left on the earth. And the it's, you know, the last scene, I think, is um, it's Donald Sutherland and um, uh, the actress in it is what Veronica Cartwright. I think. And it's just played so wonderfully because she sees someone she recognizes and, you know, that that like awful yell at the end.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: it it it, it uh, no other horror film has ever had such an, an effect on me where I felt so like almost alone as that character did and felt that things were were so bleak within that world. But as soon as I kind of came out of that, a- after thinking about it, uh, I there was almost like a like a, in a, I was in, invigorated that like I'm, I'm out of this world. I've seen what that is and I'm alive. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and, yeah, exactly. And, yes. And yes. I mean, it, I love that movie for that. I love it. I love it. And it terrifies me. And I love it.
2: that's that is exactly it though it's that invigoration there's a thrill that sort of comes with the with with all the adrenaline that comes from watching some of those movies that is you know you don't you can't really get it in almost like any other film
1: yeah yeah that that's true um so what do you think what what other horror films what do you think has had the biggest impact on you in terms of as a a writer as the stories you want to tell
0: Um,
2: I, it's hard to say because I watch a lot of different things and I take a lot from different filmmakers and writers themselves. I mean, in terms of like uh, growing up and, you know, enjoying their works and, you know, I don't know if I'm consciously emulating them, but like, maybe, you know, you, you take on what you're reading from them and learn lessons Mm -hmm. from them. It's obviously Stephen King. I grew up reading Stephen King, you know, in grade school and everything like that. So Stephen King is a writer who I very much, you know, pull stuff from. Um, Mark Z. Danielewski's House of Leaves is a book that like I read in high school and it stayed with me ever since. And that's kind of a ghost I'm chasing in terms of like wanting to do something that is not only, you know, maybe emotionally thrilling and satisfying, but also something that plays with the form itself. Um that, okay. it's, that's a novel and it does a lot of things with typography and it's a story within a story, and it's it's uh, you know, it's a it's written as like an essay in some chapters, and they have footnotes that become stories in and of themselves, and it's labyrinthian. It's it's a very exciting story for how almost like uh, collegiate it can be at times. Like you're reading like someone's like thesis paper, <laughs> but like it <laughs> works really well in ways that it shouldn't. And that's something I've always wanted to do. And I play I try to play with form a lot when I'm doing comics. You know, Starless Daydream. You know, is this you know scrapbook sort of style story where i work with a bunch of different people amber door right is an anthology that has multiple different artists working on it that plays with what can a fantasy anthology be if i can cover all these different genres eat my flesh, drink my blood from the beginning was designed with this three-page format that you mentioned earlier that reads really well digitally almost like a webtoon but when you see it on the printed page it's so big because we made it this letter sized page it's like a widescreen cinemascope because we were trying to match like a you know a movie lens essentially um so always trying to play with that as well when we're talking from filmmakers obviously it's john carpenter's probably number one you know he, i mean most of his films have had a huge impact on me and i really like what he does and he has this way of having these very sort of elegant and thought-provoking films that are also massively entertaining. Like the thing, it, you know, like you were saying about Invasion of Body centers, you know, this idea that you're all alone at the end of it all. The thing, you know, having this whole story structure about who can you trust and why should you trust them sort of mentality. And, but while still being like this amazing creature feature, you know, there's not very yeah. many movies that get to do that Halloween. There's not many movies that can be so simply scary, but also when you're watching all the people act and everything, it doesn't feel like they're like, oh, they're going to be like trumped up, you know, teenagers that aren't real. They feel like real characters acting like teenagers, you know, in that situation. And it's viscerally thrilling on top of it. And so it's that kind of storytelling I'm trying to get at with my own thing. When I write dialogue, I don't try to write dialogue sort of I, I don't know how to describe it outside like not cinematically or not you know mm, verbosely i try to write it as if these were real people sitting and talking about whatever they're talking about so sometimes it doesn't lead to i have a lot of i have a lot of trouble when i'm trying to promote uh pages or you know show a snippet of a page i don't have a good like one panel with a quote in it you know that you can be like and yeah. that's what because i don't write dialogue like that it'll be like a lot of times it's it's dialogue that's just very natural in the moment and so it has to be read in in sequence um Mm -hmm. so definitely trying to capture that from john carpenter and and stephen king does that too really well
1: well actually to, to to pivot off of that and to kind of turn right into one of your newer uh projects with 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 who killed sarah shaw um the I do think that the line in there in the preview pages you you sent to me, there is a line that one of the characters says about that their 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 audience can't get enough trauma, and I thought <laughs> you you should promote that page. <laughs> because that's a good line. That's a good line, Frankie.
2: <laughs> that is. Um, I, I am having a lot of fun writing this book because I am a big big fan of true crime and so is my wife you know listen listen all you know all the podcasts about it and whatever netflix has a new fucking documentary about it we throw that on you know or something like that and and there is an element of the story where i was very curious about playing with okay you know when you follow these documentaries or you you listen to these podcasts or anything like that part of it is they're there's got to be some genuine like we're doing this to honor the person, you know, you know, the people that were the victims of these crimes. Right. There has to be some element of that. But on the other side, they're still making money. It's still about making money at the end of the day. Like they're not going to make that documentary or make that podcast if there isn't a way to sustain it financially. Right. So that sure. is a very interesting idea to me in and playing with and. How much of it, How? where do you draw the line? How, how much of it is an honor, you know, a, a honor mm-hmm. of the people that have passed in cataloging, you know, a sort of as a historical document, right, you know, and finding the truths of what happened and how much of it is making it entertainment and making it something that can sell. And so having these two, you know, essentially content creators go out and try to solve this, you know, cold case murder mystery because they know their show's about to be canceled and... <laughs> That's the only way they think they can keep it alive. Adds a very you know fun twist to it because you're going into. It's not a you know in real life. It's not a fake story. You're going into somebody's life and you're digging up old memories. You're digging up right. old old trauma for your you know cold case episode.
0: You know for
2: for your yeah. unsolved mysteries episode. You know. And, so, like that to me is is a very fascinating idea to struggle with and and make it so that when I'm hoping that you know as the story develops and as people read it, they're at odds with everybody. The content creators are going to be compelling in their own right, and I don't think they're necessarily bad people. But I do hope that at times they go, man, they're kind of assholes, and at times they're like, ah, I kind of get why they're doing it.
1: <laughs> right? No, and and it's now it's just an interesting time. To be talking about these ideas and um so for anyone who who isn't aware who killed sarah shaw i've been able to uh, lucky enough to see some preview pages and it's the story of uh you know a a true crime type of podcast that is um going out and interviewing individuals that knew uh sarah shaw and you know kind of getting into the investigation of uh sarah shaw's murder um but, but it's such an interesting time with true crime pro- podcasts where there's so many of them that have cropped up over the years. You now have the point where there's individuals, whether it's on Twitter or, or in, in the regular media that are or mainstream media that are critical of true crime podcasts. You also have where just, what was it today, Adnan Syed, who mm-hmm. was kind of the focus of the first real big true crime podcast serial uh, who've been in prison for 20 years for the murder of ha Min Lee has just been released his conviction overturned and and so there's all these competing elements and it's such an interesting kind of I mean playgrounds the wrong word because we're talking about some serious topics but it is mm-hmm. kind of like a, an interesting area to to kind of kind of play in because you're right you're dealing with people who have been through trauma you're talking about rehashing that trauma for the the families of victims or for the families of the Incarcerated if they they were wrongly imprisoned and you're talking about people that are also trying to monetize that and an audience that is kind of feeding off of the trauma as one of your characters says I mean it, it's just a fascinating area to be in and um, I'm I I love the th- thirteen I think it was thirteen or so preview pages I read yeah I can't wait to you know to kind of to kind of get more of it um, it's a really I think it's a fascinating premise. Uh,
2: I am. I'm really excited. We're doing, you know, it's essentially a page a week on Adam's Patreon. We're we're going back to the sort of the old web comic format for, which is exciting. To kind of do like a little weekly update uh, for everything. I am really. I'm hoping people stick with it because even though it is in the weekly update format, it's very much in high right, just in general. Which is you Mm -hmm. know we're getting you know, long, there's going to be some longer scenes. We have like a seven page basketball sequence. I hope hope readers will stay with that because I really wanted to dig into this. As you're digging into this story of the past, you know, everything that the content creators, Jess and Dave and their show Cracking a Cold One are getting into, (laughs) they, they, they they have to interview these people and then they sort of have to take their word, right? And they're telling mm-hmm. them their own memories of events that happened forty years ago. So there's this element of like subjective versus objective truth. And so whenever we're doing flashbacks and we're having the, you know interview subjects tell their stories about, you know what they remember about Sarah and what they remember about their lives and how they were related to her and everything that happened and her murder, it's all told with text box. It's text box narration. There's no direct dialogue because none of those dialogue moments would be objective. That's somebody saying essentially, here's what I remember it being. And then we're going to show an image and it's up to the reader essentially to say to themselves, you know, does this line up? Does this make sense to me? Do I buy it? Do I think this works? Does does a, an, an image in a panel Go with or go against what they're saying. You know, what's the truth of the situation? And and I said it in our little opening spiel when we posted the first five, five pages. But the question that is the title, Who Killed Sarah Shaw? That's something we're asking the readers. We want the readers to be involved in the process. We don't want them to sit there and just go, man, I can't wait for them to tell me who it is. We want right. you guys to develop your own opinions on it. And, you know, I I hopefully like hopefully by the end of it, you know, you have really strong opinions on who you think did it. Um, I think there's a fascinating element of playing with with your audience like that. We're sort of seeing it House of the Dragons going on and, you know, big, huge HBO show. Right. And there's an element to it where the show is forcing viewers to sort of pick sides. It's not it's it's very much like you can either be on this person's side and their whole squad or this person's side and their whole squad. And seeing the viewers start to do that, just like they did in the book, you know, naturally, and just like they do in the show is a fascinating thing to see. It's getting this audience engagement that most shows don't get because they're observers, they're not participators. And I think getting them to participate in it is fun.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that's terribly fun. Um, And also, I love stories that have, An unreliable narrator and because so many times i think it can be difficult to do in a in a a comic because you know you're you have the dialogue you're showing it it's it's such an interesting way to bring up the topic of an an unreliable narrator and not just one because they're they're you're seeing something from their memory they're telling like what they remember and I, i mean people don't know i mean i i deal with this you know as an attorney and having to talk to people and remember accidents or whatever it might be from a few years ago. But I mean, I, I think that every time you remember something, it changes a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like there's, You know, if you remember something from 10 years ago, I would bet that if I asked you the day after it happened and then 10 years later and a few times like along that continuum, it changed a little bit every time. Mm-hmm. Mem- memory memories are not static exactly <laughs> people, people don't don't realize that,
2: that um, and that's exactly that is exactly what i'm trying to drill into is this idea of when you see a character you know telling you this thing you know you you have to grapple with it as a reader of you know since we don't know who murdered her and it is a murder mystery still right you kind of have to say are they are they telling the truth are they outright lying, right? Are they trying to cover their tracks? Are they just simply mm-hmm. misremembering it because it's 40 years? Or are they just not even misremembering it, but remembering it maybe slightly differently than it occurred and having those little differences maybe play out because there's not just one narrator, you know, there's not one interview subject. They're going to interview right. a bunch of people and it's a small town. So stories will sort of combine and, you know, stuff like that is it, That's where the fun of it
0: is. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah no i i think it's a i, I think it's a, a a great concept and i i've enjoyed the beginning so far so i'm uh i'm i'm all in um yeah i think it's a i think it's a great idea and uh i can't wait to see uh where it goes and especially what i, I you know i've seen so far the first interview subject and then when they go back you know i don't think this is given anything too much away for anyone who hasn't read it, but when they go back and the that character's kind of turn, um it just mm-hmm. makes so much it just it just makes so much sense. And it just feels very real and kind of like lived in. And um it was a really, really well well done start. And um yeah you're working with Adam again, right?
2: Yes. Yeah. Adam, yeah. we're yeah we're working I'm working with Adam again. He's doing the you know line art pencil inking and lettering. Um this is gonna be in all black and white, and mm-hmm. this is something we've been wanting to do for for a while when we originally did Broken Bear. It started as a black and white comic, and we brought p h g on really late in the process, like we had already had you know two-thirds of the book maybe even three-fourths of the book done at that point like ready to go basically and we brought him on uh due to the publisher request which honestly worked out because broken bar and color is amazing and if we hadn't done that we wouldn't have met him at all which would be a misfortune for both me and adam because he's a great collaborator but this Mm -hmm. was since this is for adam's patreon you know we wanted to do you know just us two you know you know, give him something to put on there that could be hopefully a compelling reason to help support him, you know, and and get some more, you know, income coming his way. Um, and give readers something interesting too. That's not, you know, for a Patreon page, that's not just like here are some pinups, here's some behind the scenes stuff. It's, you know, you're getting a full comic. You're also gonna, you know, depending on the tiers you back, you're gonna get behind the scenes stuff, creator commentary, you know, things like that. And it, it's only a dollar a month. So the longer, you know, the, as it keeps going, this is going to be quite a long story. We're planning on you know it being so. You're going to get a lot of bang for your buck.
1: Yeah, I I think that's great. I I love to see creators doing new things, trying new things, working stories in different ways, just to try and give people you know something uh, something interesting, something fun. I love the idea. I, I mean, I love. I used to, as a kid, I would I devoured. I know we're getting away from more spooky topics, but it's my podcast. I can do what I want. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I loved I loved Hardy Boy books. Um, mm-hmm. They came out like when I was, a, you know, I think it was probably nine the or early nineties. They started to do the the case files. Yeah, um, you know, mm-hmm. every everyone still said they were written by Franklin W. Dixon. Um, <laughs> 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 and uh, I loved those, and then that kind of led to, uh, you know, like there were books that were like five minute whodunit mysteries that you read the little story and then had to figure it out on your own. And then it would tell you, you know, what clues you were supposed to pick up. And I, you know, I, I loved all of that. And um, uh, that stuff was so much, you know, so much fun. So anything in that kind of vein that like, you know, kind of lets the audience come to its own conclusions, I think is, uh, reminds me of that. And I think is wonderful. So. Thank you. Yeah,
2: that's definitely what we're hoping for. <laughs> we're hoping the audience can come to their own conclusions.
1: I'm excited to see
2: what people say about it.
1: And and so, um, you know, uh, not that you have to be working on anything else, um, but, uh, you know, but but are you uh, is there anything else that you are, are working on or, or uh, you know, as a, as a fan of Broken Bear, do you think you'll ever revisit that that world again?
2: So, um, well, so we do have a short in the Amber Door with Adam and AHG um, that is a direct sequel to Broken Bear, um, but it it involves a time jump. So it shows Selm, who is the main character of Broken Bear, 10 years later and in an entirely different uh, situation. Um, We are currently waiting for and i don't think this is anything wrong to say we're waiting for our contract to be over um with the current publisher so that we can get the rights back to the first book and then we are gonna move forward at that point we have the rights back to do any future works if we want but without having the first volume um, mm-hmm. it seems kind of a moot point to try and go anywhere else or do anything else with it so we're just kind of sitting on it I already have an idea for the second volume, which is pretty much, I mean, Broken Bear, this is not a spoiler, uh, ends kind of on a cliffhanger. um, Or I guess the epilogue to the story is a cliffhanger. Um, So we'll immediately follow that up. That book will be a straight-up horror show. It's a haunted house horror show. Oh, all Um, right. (laughs) So that I am very excited about. I think it's going to be a really fun book when we do get to it. That that being said, that's not, you know, that's still a couple years out. Um, so for now it's pretty much just working on who killed Sarah Shaw. That's good, like I said, it's gonna be a long story. We're we're kind of thinking, you know, like I said, I don't really outline, I have a general idea of what I want to do with it, but the length of it is TBD, but it's gonna be probably like minimum, you know, one hundred to 150 pages, and that's like at a minimum. So it's wow. gonna be it's it's gonna it's. That's awesome. I typically have worked much shorter books. You know, Broken Bear is like a hundred pages. Twenty Fists is I think like eighty something pages. Mm-hmm. Starless Daydream is you know seventy something. It's not very long. Eat My Drink My Blood is you know fifty page fifty something pages. So typically I work smaller. I typically work smaller and in a contained zone. Usually my stories take place over the course of one night or couple days it's all pretty compacted um i love the idea of getting into people's heads you know over the course of a night sort of situation but this is very much a it's a big story it's you're getting you know sort of 40 years of small town politics essentially brewing you know over this murder mystery um and so trying to keep that concise and obviously we don't want to meander or anything but it's still it's there's going to be a lot of characters there's going to be at least five characters that do interviews and each of those interviews are going to be essentially let's say you know comics you know a floppy issues length you know so 20 to 25 pages so it's definitely there's a lot to work with
1: yeah and um and adam's artwork is i mean it's it's fantastic and um i love the black and white of it too so I, I i think that's that's great um well i really hope people check it out uh, i'm excited for it and i i think it's i just love the idea that the audience can kind of um you know go along with the main characters try and figure out what really happened and uh who killed sarah shaw um it, well, before I let you go, Frankie, though, I wanted to talk about, you know, as as Halloween approaches, and as a fan of, of of horror films, I mean, do you have any, you know, traditions that you do this time of year? Is there any, you know, do you watch the same movie? Do you maybe, you know, have a a, a film night of ones that you haven't seen yet? Is there anything that you do to kind of scratch that, you know, horror itch?
2: um basically i would say starting and i start my halloween season very early starting like in august is when i'm (laughs) done i'm done with summer at that point i'm not i'm not a warm weather person i get really hot and i run hot so i don't enjoy it so usually by august i'm done with it you know i've had my fun my summer fun and i'm ready for halloween to be there so usually starting in August, maybe if I'm being good, it starts like <laughs> late August. I just <laughs> start watching horror movies all the time. Um, so I don't know if there's necessarily a tradition to it because it's I kind of watch whatever I want when I want to. But right, you know, I'm for sure watching. You know, Halloween one, Halloween three. I oh. love season. I love season of the witch. I think that's one of the most <laughs> underrated horror movies. Um, oh. With what? the masks.
0: With yeah, the I masks. love that one.
2: It's so good. It is the biggest disappointment that at the time people couldn't get over the fact that Michael Myers wasn't in it because it is a great well, movie. Uh the ending to that
1: movie is one of my favorites. Um, I feel I feel like if they would have called it anything else, even even just Season of the Witch, it would have done much better.
2: Yes, yeah. Oh, absolutely. I totally agree with that. But like John Carpenter has said. The idea behind they wanted to do with Halloween was it was supposed to be like an anthology series. Every Halloween movie was going to be a different story. The only problem was that Halloween 1 was so fucking successful, the the burdens of success, I guess. They had to make Halloween 2 with Michael Myers, and then when they got to 3, people couldn't get over the fact that he wasn't in it. If they just called it Season of the Witch, it wouldn't have had nearly as much stigmatism, you know, when it started it's a it's a good movie. It's a little goofy, but like there are some truly
1: horrific moments in it. And oh, yeah, I, and I, I think I saw it way too young and it it traumatized me as probably that scene. <laughs> and, and
2: I mean, there's not very many horror movies or movies in general that will like straight up just murder a kid on screen. It's a brutal yeah. like it's a brutal movie at times, and, yeah, and the ending, I think, is like one of the most haunting endings ever where. You know, spoiler alert, he's trying to get everyone to turn the TV, cha- turn, get the TV stations to turn the commercial off. And you don't really get to know if it happens or not. You know, and it ends yeah. on this big climactic moment where he directly looks at the camera and directly tells the audience like to not participate in this chaos that's happening. And I don't know, it's very, it's very effective. I, I like that movie a lot.
1: Oh, that's awesome. Um, I'm sorry, but what, so what else? Any others? (laughs)
2: Um, Let's see. What else? What are some other, uh, like I said, John Carpenter. So like, obviously, I mean, the thing is in general rotation throughout the year, but the thing gets played again. Um, I love Christine. I think that movie is one of his most underrated. Uh, The special effects in it are incredible. Um, I love the Scream franchise. So Scream 1, I mean, honestly, all of them are really good, but Scream 1 and Scream 3 are my favorites. Um, so those definitely get watched. Um, a newer one that's become a staple is called uh, WNUF Halloween Special. And I discovered it, I guess at this point now, it's probably been like maybe five or six years now, which is kind of crazy, but premise of the movie is essentially like you are watching a like heavily re-recorded vhs tape recording of a halloween news special that aired on television and it's this guy who goes into a supposed haunted house and it's filled to the brim with like all the trappings of like you know, cheesy local news, sort of like you know buffers in between, like when they play the commercials. They should they had they made all these fake commercials for it and stuff like that. So it has this really immersive quality to it, where like there's a point where you'll be watching it and you're like, damn, this has so many commercials in it, just like regular TV would. <laughs> but it <laughs> has this very compelling, like world building quality to it. And by the end of the Halloween special segment when they're in the haunted house it is some genuinely you know scary stuff which I it was and it was made for like four dollars it was made for it has the budget for it's very very low so it's just really impressive to see what
0: they were able to do
1: Huh. I've never I'm gonna write that down I've never heard of it WNUF Halloween special
0: mm-hmm. all right that's fantastic. Right,
1: okay, well, I got some some new. Uh, maybe uh, maybe this this season, I'll actually catch up on some of the uh, the horror movies. I need to uh, I need to catch up on. Um, oh man, there's there's so
2: many. I can send you a list of all the ones since 2015 that have been incredible. <laughs> there, there's it, it's kind of amazing how many good ones we've gotten.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I, every time I see like previews for one, I'm like, all right, I got to put it on the list. I got to watch it. I got to check it out. I have a tendency to go back to the original Halloween, which I just, I mean, pound for pound, I think it's just one of the, not only the best like horror films, just, I think it's just one of the best movies ever made. Yes. Um, it is. It is so know. tightly
2: made. It is. It is fantastic. And, um, and the bar was set way too high with the first one. It is every other one yeah. after that. You're watching almost for the fun of it, rather than it being uh-huh. like a genuinely good movie. But
1: yeah. I agree. And then I'm a I'm a huge fan of Evil Dead too. I will watch, I will rewatch that a lot. Um, I love how it still has horror elements, but it really starts to lean into the camp uh that Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell are really are really good at. Um oh, Sam is so good. Evil Dead Two, Army of Darkness. I love the camp in that yeah.
2: drag me to hell, way underrated. That is another one that balances, I think, the horror and the camp really well. Yeah, I love Sam Raimi um i'll I'll recommend to you and to anybody who is listening that are from this year and if you follow me on twitter you have seen me yell about how good they are but uh ty west had two movies come out this year not just one two movies uh one is called x and one is called called pearl and they are part of a trilogy that is the third one's going to come out next year i think they are fantastic phenomenal movies Um, X follows this young group of uh, lucky go-getters who are renting a uh, boarding house to film a porno at the very beginning of when home video was starting to pop up in the 70s and they're trying to make it big and strike it rich. And things obviously go terribly wrong on the farm they're staying at. Um, And then Pearl is set in the nineteen. 18s during the influenza pandemic so very correlated to modern times um and it follows one of the characters from x but as a much younger person and you get to see their backstory and they're just they're fantastic movies they're not just good scary movies they're not good horror movies they're just
1: good movies period all right well i haven't seen either so maybe i'll start there with x and pearl I hope, I hope you like I, them. I hope I don't need yeah.
2: I hate I, I hate going to the mat for stuff cuz everyone's tastes are different. And I I frankly yeah. I have I have kind of weird tastes. So. <laughs> so like sometimes I'll go to the mat for something and they'll be like you like that? That was terrible. Mm-hmm. And I'm like,
0: "No, it's good."
1: <laughs> now, I I I've I've, I've, heard, I've heard others whose opinions I I also uh trust have, have I've mentioned X and Pearl. So I I think um I think you're probably in good company. Yes. Um <laughs> But yeah, I'll have to check those out because I I need to catch up on some of my uh my my horror movies that I haven't seen in in recent years because um yeah I, I love them I love this time of year and I, I love that I love horror comics I love horror movies so um just haven't had a chance to really 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 watch too many recently but we'll we'll correct that this year um you know but kind of you know turning back into um back into comics um I. Can't recommend enough, everyone, everyone, to go to Dauntless's website and if you haven't yet, get and read digitally. If, if there's, I don't know if there's still physical copies available, but definitely digitally, you can still get "Eat My Flesh, Drink My Blood." Um, especially if you're Catholic, um, <laughs> <laughs> it really it It really ticks all of the horror boxes if you uh if you were raised uh, Catholic like Frankie and I and <laughs>
2: <laughs> it, it is available digitally right now. The first print run sold out, which you know thanks to everyone who who supported it uh that I mean that's amazing. We have a second print with a new cover coming out by Heather Vaughn. It's incredible. Oh, I um, love is,
1: Heather's work.
2: It is a beautiful, gory cover um. And so definitely worth <laughs> double dipping if you have gotten it. And if you haven't gotten it, definitely worth, you know, getting a physical copy for Cause that's how we intended it to be read. It does read really well digitally. Um, but that physical copy is going to be really nice.
1: So. Awesome. Well, I'll certainly look for that and I'll put a link in the show notes for anyone to go to the Dauntless website. They can get the digital one if they want until the, uh, the, the, the next print run of the physical copy comes out as well as the, uh, eat my flesh, drink my blood soundtrack, which you can get as well. Um, that's always fun. I like comics that come with soundtracks. That's pretty cool. Um, well, Frankie, I cannot thank you enough for, um, you know, coming on my new self-indulgent, the creators I want to talk to series. I don't have a name for it yet, but, uh, I like that name. I think that works. Um, yeah, thank you very much. Uh, this is, uh, but this is uh, Jimmy Gasparro for the Comic Book Yeti Cryptid Creator Corner. And uh, you've been listening to me and Frankie White. And if you've enjoyed the podcast and um, liked all our Catholic facts, as well as our, our horror talk and our, our movie recommendations, um, you know, like and subscribe and tell your friends and all those things. Uh, but Frankie, thank you very much for being uh, here and talking with me tonight.
2: Thanks for having me on, Jimmy. I really appreciate uh, it.
1: Uh, All right, everyone. uh, Good night, and uh, I will see you next time. This is Byron O'Neill, one of your hosts of the Cryptid Creator Corner, brought to you by Comic Book Yeti. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of our
2: podcast. Please rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. It lets us know how we're doing, and more importantly, how we can improve. Thanks for listening.
0: If you enjoyed this episode of The Cryptid Creator Corner, maybe you would enjoy our sister podcast, Into the Comics Cave. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Galvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of MetaHuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg